Welcome to Wednesday. It is Wednesday, right? Yeah, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Hey, have you got your Oscar picks in? I um, It's been on my mind because trialing, Triangle of Sadness just came on Hulu last night, and I put it on, and I fell asleep. One of the issues is like two and a half hours long. They make like modern movies way too long, in my opinion. 90 minutes is, uh, is the way to go. I want to know the logistics industry's Oscar picks, though, so leave those in the comments. I'm going to ask some of the guests. Um, of the ones that are out there, I've seen All Quiet, Maverick, um, Avatar 2. Everything, everywhere, all at once. And of those, everything, everywhere. Easy pick. Easy pick. Uh, Avatar 2 shouldn't even be there. It's a theater 3D experience. Anyways, we got a lot going on the show today. Today, I'm catching up with Rachel Premack. We're talking about uh, some sad news with the carrier shutdown. We also have Norfolk Southern's mounting issues. Just more and more stuff coming out about that company. They also had another accident yesterday where somebody died. We're going to be talking about warehouse robots rising up. We'll learn uh, the latest about bots and my T-sort right here with uh, Michael Cormody from Tompkins Robotics. He's coming by telling us how these work, the state of warehouse robotics, uh, automation, all that good stuff. Better call Bart. Project 44 is Bart DeMonk. He's talking about his brand new supply chain hotline. Have you called Bart yet? He'll answer your supply chain questions. He's also going to talk about Project 44's Vision Quest and what's going down at Food Shippers Conference. Then Super Trucker will bring the trucker's perspective when he talks about freight recession at the ports, strap work, how pre-trip inspections work, and what to do when a car crashes in to your podcast. All right, let's tip the band. We'll get into things. Supply chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavant Logistics to take on the responsibility is unwavering. Dunavant, logistically speaking, they are at the center of it all. Visit them at dunavant.com. All right, now it is my favorite international woman, editorial director at Freightways, Rachel Premack. Hey, Rachel, happy International Women's Day. Thank you. I appreciate it. You, um, and, and that is true. You have been overseas. You started your career over in uh, Asia, did you not? Or you, you wrote for a while yeah. over there. Yeah, yeah. After I graduated college, I uh, was a freelancer over in South Korea for a year and a half uh, before moving back here. So I am an international woman on International Women's Day. Better bagels, New, New York City or, uh, <laughs> or Singapore? I've never been to Singapore, but Seoul, I would get a bagel like every now and then in Seoul. Um just just to get a taste of home. They're not great. They're not great. Well, I mean, you were they're, like they're you like you caused an incident on Twitter a while ago when you said like Einstein's bagels had better bagels than anything in New York. I really enjoy the Einstein's bagel sandwich. That's the um the Santa Fe. It has a sausage, it has like jalapeno cream cheese. It's just it's really good. I I haven't seen it. I think because the actual ingredients are so tasteless that they have to be really creative in putting combinations together whereas in new york it's just a bagel and cream cheese and it's really good but you know in the midwest we've got to be a little bit more creative because mm. we just don't have that that high quality uh bagels going for us i hear you i hear you You know you know what's not delicious this freight market freight market is terrible and we've been talking about 
this for a while, what it is has been doing to carriers. And yesterday we got some um, we got some shocking news about Freightworks. Right? We there was a uh, very heartfelt video that we didn't publish, but was released to their staff, letting them know that the company had shut down. This is a place that employs 220 people, about 150 drivers. Um, and they're in a tough spot, Rachel. You know, we have plates coming up. You're a 150 carrier. There's actually a truck on my desk. You see that NEMF over here? I believe you've even written about that one. They had that issue where a big customer of theirs was Amazon, right? And you get into that size where you can get in the room for the RFP, but you can also get taken advantage of in that room for the RFP. And NEMF, they gave way too much of their capacity to Amazon. Amazon pulled. This company right here, Freightworks, in their video, their CEO said their issue was the freight recession and some customers pulling concessions on volumes and rates. What's going on, Rachel? Yeah, so as you mentioned, Freightworks is you know a mid-sized carrier, about 140, 150 drivers based in North Carolina. Uh, they told their employees yesterday that they would be shutting down. Uh, they would do it in a more orderly fashion, unlike those who remember Celadon in 2019, where they suddenly shut down, drivers were stranded, um, freight wasn't delivered. It's going to be a little bit more orderly than that. So it is, you know, probably a good proactive way to, to shutter a company. Uh, but they said that their core customers demanded significant rate reductions, significant changes to volume. And it's just exactly what you said. Like, this is a company that does have these really good, solid contract customers but during a time of a freight recession where uh where where these large companies are trying to reduce their rates that's going to really harm a lot of these medium family-owned type of trucking carriers and i think freightworks is definitely a victim of that right now yeah, and I have to give them some credit. I know a few of the people over there, one of them being Jordan Kidd. He does the Life by the Mile podcast. And I um, had talked to him yesterday. And he's, one thing he really wanted to stress was that the company was working hard to not make this a sell-it-on situation, to make sure that the drivers got home. And they even have a recruiter on staff that is trying to get employees placed. Mm -hmm. They had to let go. So, you know, shutdowns suck, but at least they're doing it the right way. But my question to you is, Rachel, how... Um, how concerned should carriers in that 150 truck space, that sort of medium space, be this year? Because they seem like, to me, it seems like there's a big target on them because you have so many different pressures coming up in this. And 150 trucks sounds like a lot, but it's also just enough, like with NEMF, to kind of hurt yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, so last year we didn't really see, we saw a few medium-sized carriers uh, file for bankruptcy or shut down. Uh, but it wasn't maybe as many as people would have expected. I think that's because contract rates were still relatively strong. A lot of these carriers still had a lot of cash left over from COVID. But now I think a lot of those cash reserves have been drawn down and contract re renegotiation season is upon us or just about to come up. So it is going to be a really challenging time for these small family-owned carriers or, you know, just small to medium-sized carriers that do have these really great contracts that are supposed to help them through tough times. But, you know, sometimes, as you mentioned, these large companies, they do call the shots. And if they're going to demand significant rate reductions or volume reductions, it's, I think a lot of these companies are going to have to have uh, some tough, tough choices be made.
Now, Ted Elling from uh, Dynamo Ventures, he tweeted out, I talked to a CEO of a trucking company with 150 trucks, and he said their biggest customer is down 25%, and they are taking loads at break even to keep his drivers. He thinks the second half of the year will be much stronger. Shippers have inventory and warehouses. Uh, shippers have inventory and warehouses and shipping out of those. So he thinks there's going to be a buildup, but he said something interesting there, and it's that they're just taking some of these loads to keep drivers on staff. But the concern here is they lose confidence in that second half of the year, right? Because if you're holding on to this capacity yeah. just to make sure you have it, when things turn the corner after spring, summer, what happens if it doesn't? What happens if produce season sucks, Rachel? Yeah, that's definitely a big concern because I, I've noticed there's kind of like half and half of the carrier and shipper world is saying oh you know the second half of the year is going to be a little bit better things will start to perk up by the second half of the year and then you see this other half of the of the uh of the industry that we're in saying no i think the second half of the year is also going to be pretty bad maybe even worse than what we're seeing right now but i think the key issue is what the how these contracts are negotiated right now because if they're not strong enough if they are if 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 uh, other carriers experience what FreightWorks experienced, where uh, shippers demand big concessions on these contracts, that's that's going to hurt them for the rest of the year. It doesn't matter if the second half is that much stronger, um, unless they can really chase the spot market that much more. But I I, I think we really do need to think about whether the second half of the year is going to be as amazing as some people think it is, because it's, it it does seem like a fifty fifty situation right now and having read some of these earnings reports from major shippers they're not super enthusiastic about the second half of the year they're a bit cautious so i think it is i think it is going to be a challenging year ahead for carriers for sure yeah and if you look at what drove our huge bubble it was overseas imports and when you hear the conversation that in their contract season that's going on i'm hearing few deals happened uh shippers are in no rush to stop the freefall rates have settled on the west coast at a thousand most people are paying a thousand on the east coast they're paying two thousand there's no reason to disrupt that capacity seems easy and in this business we never learn right it's easy to go back to just in time it looks better on a balance sheet and right now well the carriers are down like who's going to lend them an olive branch nobody has any interest in doing that right right and especially i imagine a lot of these shippers might think you know you guys had it good for the last for 2020 21 and part of 22 like it's our time now <laughs> like maybe they want to swing the pendulum back in their favor but i think the key thing is having these large these long-term customers who when things are you know favorable for you you might you might give them a break and then when you know the the, the market turns against you as it inevitably will. Hopefully those customers also give you a break, but yeah, that's, I imagine that's easier said than done for, for, uh, for these companies for sure. Well, I, I detected a little pessimism in your voice too about our, and I know back in December, we were all kind of like, you know what we have, we, we think the second half is going to look good. We think that there's, we think things should turn around, but now in March it's, you know, we're halfway through that. I, I'm kind of joining you on that pessimistic side, just looking at what's going on on yeah. the ocean. I don't, I mean, maybe we're looking at fall and hopefully we have a good 
peak season then, or maybe produce saves us. Um, let's help some people though. I put out there that, that this, I, when I shared this post, I asked the community if anyone was hiring. So we did have a couple people who answered. The first one was Gwen, Gwen ran. She said, I'm one of, well, she's actually, she was someone who lost her job. She said, I'm one of the drivers. It's sad. It was like working with your family, do anything for them. And I've heard that from a lot of people over there. This is a, this was a very strong family company. They had a, um, a sort of a strong Christian uh, bend to them. So the people in there, like they, they, they just felt a strong sense of community, especially if uh, those are your beliefs as well. Chris M mm. said, there's a, a fair number of remote positions that Ross uh, Pomerantz built into a spreadsheet and they made it into a website. If you go over my LinkedIn profile, I can click on that one. Cameron Peach said, I have a few fleets with capacity for good drivers. Let's connect. That's Valley Trucking for those of you out there. Molly Rushing says, Destin Smith has a lot of driver positions open. Again, all these comments are on my LinkedIn. Um, Mirza, Mirza Durek at Eagle Eye Truck Line says, absolutely. Give us a call at 616-648-8105. Um, Allison K. Sykes is sorry to hear this. Always looking for great drivers at Eagle Transport. And Cole, Cole Ryan L is, uh, Cole Ryan Lopez is a recruiting assistant. She's the one that at Freightworks right now that is working with all of them to place people. She is also on um, that post I put up there. So if you're out there, you have jobs for these folks, help them out. And last piece of good news on Freightworks before we move on is Jordan Kidd over there. He said that um, even though the company shut down, he does have the Life by the Mile IP for his podcast. So he may still continue doing that. And if you were a listener of that, I'm sure he'd be good. very excited. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. So again, like seems like they're doing it the right way. Yeah, yeah. It's sad to hear. And Rachel, I'm afraid this isn't going to be the last yeah. 150 carrier that we uh, we talk about on here. I, I, yeah. The one thing I wish we could get past was Norfolk Southern, but like they just won't get out of the news. There was another accident <laughs> yesterday where somebody died. Um, yeah. The EPA reports are coming out. They're yeah. walking back what they said about the health of the environment and the water saying, oh, it's worse than we suspected. Surprise, surprise. And then all these safety issues are coming to light as well, Rachel. What is going on with this company? Yeah, so the federal government is actually, the National Transportation Safety Board is actually launching a special investigation into the safety culture at Norfolk Southern. Uh, they're citing these five significant accidents that have come across uh, that has happened at Norfolk Southern since December of 2021. And two of those significant accidents has actually happened in the last three days. There was a 212-car freight train that derailed uh, in Ohio on March 3rd. And as you mentioned, that uh, tragic accident where a Norfolk Southern conductor died on March 7th, a dump truck collided with uh the train car that he was working with in Cleveland and that uh, or near Cleveland and that unfortunately killed that conductor. Uh, and there was also another derailment of, along with the uh, famous derailment that we've been talking about uh, in East Palestine. There was another derailment October 28th, also in Ohio. So there's been a lot of incidences and derailments that have really raised the concern of the federal government, and it seems like they're going to try to get to the bottom of this and learn a little bit more about what's actually going on there. Yeah, I mean, I think they should put that under a microscope. I mean, look, this happens. The public deserves it. Uh, people whose communities that the trains go through deserve it, and Ohio deserves it. Ohio is just getting battered by NFS. Like, ever yeah. since this news started, it's one after another in Ohio. Yeah, I don't... Ohio specifically, it's, it is it is confusing. There was that hazmat derailment in my native home state of Michigan also last month, but 
it, a lot of these incidences are happening in Ohio. And I think in, along with Norfolk Southern, I think this is definitely raising the public awareness of safety at other you know major rail companies as well. Uh, we, I've seen some reports on BNSF and uh, Union Pacific in recent weeks, just looking into what uh, workers there are saying about kind of the safety culture at those uh, major carriers. But there, there's definitely a lot more curiosity and interest of what's going on in the railroads. And I think it's I think it's definitely good that the government and mainstream media is kind of a little bit more curious about this essential part of our of our freight network. Very true. Very true, Rachel. By the way, I just noticed something like if I sit like this with the logo, it looks like I have like cat ears or devil horns or, or something. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Very, fun. And you got the eye hat. Like a Pokemon. Yeah. Before yeah, I let you go, yeah. I want I want the logistics industry opinion on what the best picture for the Oscars is. Here are the nominees. Have you seen any of these? Do you have a pick? So I have seen two of them. I would have liked to see Tar and Women Talking. Well, I've mm. like seen all of them, but I've only seen Top Gun and I saw the Banshees of Inishirin last weekend, actually. Mm. I think if I were to pick based on the ones that I've seen, I would probably pick the Banshees of Inishirin. Top Gun was a great movie. Yeah. But I don't know bait. if it's like <laughs> I don't know if it's like best picture of the year level unfortunately i mean i hope craig doesn't watch this but yeah. <laughs> this is your last appearance on what the truck rachel after yeah. no, i didn't pick nice top gun either <laughs> i liked all quiet i like i like uh ground war movies better and i thought i thought that did a great job of showing like the horror of world war one you see so many world war ii movies i i, I welcome yeah. that best one since 1917 yeah. so was that that was your yeah. pick is is the banshees of what you've seen yeah, yeah. I I thought it was a really good movie. It definitely stayed with me. It kind of talked about friendship, talked about Ireland, which I feel like people, even though so many people in the U.S. have Irish descent, I feel like we don't talk enough about like recent Irish history. So I thought it was a really, I thought it was a really good movie for sure. Well, very cool. Rachel, thank you so much for stopping by. Everybody subscribe to her newsletter modes and catch her every Wednesday right here on What the Truck. Take care. All right. Thanks. Take it easy. All right. Meanwhile... Everybody, I'm so sorry in advance. My name is Alexander Starr. I just released a song, and I'm going to sing it for you guys right here. I hope you enjoy. I don't want your money. I'm a little drunk, and I can call it now. I don't blame. There's been two, there's been a lot of videos that come out lately of people in public just whipping out acoustic guitars. Like I saw one the other day of someone in an elevator was playing acoustic a, a trapped elevator. There's another one on like a Southwest flight. Terrible. Where, where are these people? I hope I avoid them. It's Michael Carmody at Tompkins Robotics. Last time I saw this guy, they had a booth with all these little T-sort robots uh, running around. And then he DM'd me and he's like, hey, come over. We got one of these for you. And I was like, what? Awesome stuff. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. How are you, Tim? I'm awesome. I, as you can see, I'm very excited to have my new robot friend here. It's been on my desk ever since you sent it to me. And I think that they're... Uh, I think they're really neat. Awesome. Well, this is a great opportunity for us. We're really excited to be on your show. Um, ultimately, these are the non-smart robots of oh. the warehouse industry. We call them uh, sort robots. All they do is sort, but they really just have three or four functions. We put in some technology, and the technology is what uh, creates this, the smart element and allows these 
robots to work in swarms for peace, for sortation on order fulfillment and returns. I see them in action. So what are they on? Is that a specialized floor that they, that they run on is uh, tell me about like the, the system. Yes. Yeah, so the, it's a, uh, they're on tables, they're steel tables, but they are modular so they can be configured in any configuration that maximizes the space in the warehouse and then they run on a special tile that has an RFID chip inside of it. The RFID chip allows the robot to know where it is on the platform at any given time. And so uh, this allows humans to really um, double, triple, even quadruple their throughput because all they're doing is picking in batches and then feeding the robots, which then organize them into the actual orders or store replenishment or wherever the destination of that particular client is uh, organized. Interesting. So the T-sort, what is, what is usually feeding them? I see where it's dropping off. Do we, I've seen those warehouses that have like the funnels that drop things down from, from the top, but I also see some conveyor belts working in there. Uh, or I guess people could put them in there, but how, do, how would you typically install a system like this? And, and who would be the best use case? Right now, I would say that most of our installations come with manual induction, which is a human putting the pieces on there to make sure that the barcode is read properly. However, we have three or four clients that are already exploring automated induction where one robot will pick it up and put it on there onto another robot. So machine to machine applications. Um, right now, our best use case is probably Walgreens in the Central Field Pharmacy. They've got 18 of these systems and they uh, ultimately, once the prescription has been filled and collated with all the prescriptions for the day, they seal in a bag, put it on our robots, which then sort by the store. And then within 24 hours, your prescription is filled and delivered to your local Walgreens. Interesting. So I'm looking at this thing here and you can see them like moving, but how does it work? What is, what is driving this? What's powering it? How does it think? How does it know what to do? Yep. So the robot that we sent you is actually a shell that has none of the motors in it, which is why you're wondering why it doesn't do much. Yeah. Um, but inside there, the, the ones that we put in um, industrial warehouses have sensors and motors and gear reducers that essentially allow it to quickly move fast, stop, turn or tilt. And then ultimately all that technology is, is collaboration with all of the other robots so that they don't bump into each other or run off the tables or create other unsafe situations that you see with some other robot applications. Interesting. Now, Tompkins, is, so is T-Sort the only robot you do, or do you have a whole suite of robots? What is the, uh, like, what's the company approach? What's your business model behind, behind robotics? Up until this show and probably this week, I would have said, yes, T-Sort's the only robot that we have in North America. But in two weeks, we're going to be at Moda, uh, sorry, Promat in Chicago, and we're, releasing, we're revealing a new robot line that will be in the Pick Assist AMR space that will ride around on the floors and uh, be similar to a Locus or a Six Rivers uh, in terms of what you can buy and deploy in your warehouse. Interesting. Now, when you're like engineers and everything are putting these together, what kind of considerations do you have to factor in for the user end? Because, right, like all this tech and all this stuff is great. But what really matters and the way we sell it is we actually have to address the concerns of the warehouse industry and the shipping industry. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. The number one thing that I ask clients for when they're interested in this is a data set that would give us some sort of indication of how many orders they're processing, how many pieces are in those orders, and what kind of time frame that has to happen. Our robots 
obviously can handle all kinds of different speeds and throughputs, but we want to tailor it so that the ROI for the client falls into their budget expectations and they can they can justify the system within 24 months or less to really um, cover the same cost they would pay if they were to hire just humans to do all this sortation. So the technology addresses the labor shortage in the warehouse. Interesting. Interesting. What kind of like ROI are your uh, customers seeing with a device like this? Uh, typically, it's 18 months to 20 months. That's a typical payback that covers all of your costs, the implementation, the software, uh, calibrations and testing. Uh, but once that system is up in place, they can add to it. So ultimately, the ROI can get even shorter based on the dynamics and throughputs of what the clients uh, are requiring. How scalable are these are these systems? Uh, very scalable. We can get up to 10,000 orders per hour, um, which is up to like 50 or 60,000 pieces per hour on one of these tables. Interesting. Now, are there? do you have to have a modern warehouse to bring in something like this? What do you have to consider about your own location when wanting to automate and bring in robotics? Uh, not really. The, the one thing that we kind of require that's really the only requirement is that you have to have a system, an ERP or a, or a WMS system that interfaces with us to pass orders through digitally. Otherwise, it, it's not going to be a, a cost-effective system. But um, but the floors can be unlevel. We can have two different levels. We we can get very creative on the engineering because everything comes in on casters, so it's all classified as furniture. There's no permitting. There's no um, hazmats, fire safety. None of that is required to put the system in. And the power that it plugs into is the same power you plug into your your appliances in your home. So there's no power conversion required. Why not just like a cyborg with with hands and kneecaps and legs that can do the same exact thing that a human being can do? Uh, ultimately, it comes down to um, payback, right? Those robots are much more expensive. The smart robots that you see from Boston Dynamics and the guys that can flip and jump and dance – those those are going to be much more expensive than what we're able to process through our, our T-sort application. Interesting. Interesting. So how you, you mentioned they're kind of, but how smart can they be? Like how complex of an arrangement or system could I build out of, out of something like this? Um, well, up until a couple of weeks ago, I would have said that you can only get really what's on your square footage on your footprint. Yeah. However, we've now come up with multiple levels so you can go three, four, five, six levels high, and the human is just inducting the same way because there's a lift that brings it up to the right level and attaches it to the robot with the right destinations. So the complexity is starting to become very intense, but that just creates a smaller footprint and a, and a lighter ROI for the clients to do more work in less space. You shake hands, you get out to these events. I saw your booth at Manifest. What kind of questions are shippers bringing to you or, and warehouse owners? What are, what are their needs now? What do they want out of robotics? Uh, they want accuracy, timeliness, and short setup because they are typically 90 days from a decision and when they want that benefit hitting their floors and, and helping them on their profit and loss sheets, right? Especially 3PLs. I would say most of my, most of my interactions and conversations are with 3PLs. In very large shippers, the very large shippers are buying the system. The 3PLs are very excited about the RAS program and being able to buy this um, as a service. So ultimately, we can get this to about five to ten cents a sort. And uh, for 3PLs, that's very attractive uh, in their business model. 
Now, let's say I like what you're hearing and I go, hey, Michael, um, I want to do a trial. I want to I want to put some of these in my location. What does stand up look like? What does setup look like? And what's sort of the business model behind these? Do I buy these once or you mentioned RAS or is there sort of a software of a service behind it as well? Yep. So the software as a service model is what we're doing with RAS. It's essentially software and robotics all under a monthly bill based on your usage. So it's uh, it's very easy to get in. It's about 20 to probably 34 weeks to get set up from contracting. And um, all of this is turnkey. We, we set it up. We do all of the maintenance on it and do all of the spare parts, bring it all to you. So it's turnkey. So any 3PL can essentially bring this into their system, improve their productivity and accuracy, and pass that right on to their customers with a markup. So it's a profit center for each 3PL. So what, do, I mean, I've been in, warehouses are interesting places. I think they're the most rife for automation, but they can, they also vary drastically in the setups of them from like the world-class, almost clinical, like walking into a uh, medical facility to like, it's really sort of dingy place that you're surprised there's not mold on everything. Um, it's a cool, what yes. does the future look like for warehousing though? Like 10 years from now, is it cyborgs walking around? I, I have, every time I talk to robot people, they're like, that probably won't be a reality because hands are just so hard to replicate. Our bodies are, are incredible. The human body is absolutely fantastic and our world is built for it. But is it those cyborgs yeah. or is it more like uh, different types of systems that can do very smart, specific tasks, sorting and, and moving? I think it's the latter. I think you're going to see almost like a waterfall where the majority of products will fall into the first automation. The ones that don't fall in will then get handled by the second automation which then all brings it together for the packing and shipping operation. And all of that will be automated almost like in a waterfall, but you're always going to have exceptions. You're always going to have stuff that's too big, too long, too heavy, can't go through your automation. So you're going to have a side channel for your exceptions, just like your airport does with handling your bags, right? If it's oversized, it's going to go to a different um, baggage claim area than it is for your regular size stuff. So that's really the best example of this. I don't really foresee like cyber robots really doing much of that work unless, you know, the the cost of humans just goes up so much that, you know, the robots become the most cost effective way to do it. No, I, I hear you. Like that, that is the most logical. And I think that like when you, when you look at pictures from like 20 years ago, yeah, you might've thought cyborgs and stuff would, would walk, would be walking around when you actually look at the reality of how this would interface with people. But in terms of that, like 10 years from now, how much do you think automation will uh, reduce the, the pressure of labor and the cost of labor in this space? Uh, I think it's going to be significant. Ultimately you're seeing this, you know, technology curve where it, the technology is getting better and better, better and cheaper. And at the same time, the cost of humans is getting more and more expensive and they're harder to find. And they don't stay. If you even find them and train them, they may only be there three to four months before the next 3PL hires them away from you. You know, and Amazon, with, but 10 years from now, Amazon might not, like, they may have employed everyone in America. By that point, they were just saying last year, there was a report that because they hired so many warehouse people during like that pandemic run up of freight, um, they're having a hard time finding other people because they've already employed a lot of them. That's right. Ultimately, and there's a, there's only so many that want to walk around on, on cold concrete floors, right? I mean, it's brutal on your body. It's brutal for, you know, not getting a lot of sunlight. So, I mean, work conditions wise, warehouses are probably not the best place for humans, but that's really where things have evolved to get us to where we are today. So I worked at Talbot's briefly in Hingham, Massachusetts, and they would make you work in the warehouse every other week just to know how operations were going. And 
in August in like South Shore, Massachusetts, taking garments on hanger out of 40 foot containers is hell. So like the more automation you can, you can bring in like your next object should be garments on hanger, uh, trailer unloaders. That's, that's my passion project for you. Uh, Michael, before, you go. before I let you go, you've given me a robot pick, but what's your Oscar pick? Have you seen all these movies? Here's what you have to pick from. What's the best picture? I want to know who logistics community's taken. I have not seen any of these movies. Any? So wow. None of them. I've been really too busy getting ready for Promat. So Which one has the be best name? Which one has the best uh, name then? I'll go with Avatar just because, um, you know, I'm, I am excited to see that at some point, but um, that's all I can, t- I can share at this point. All right. Well, we'll, we'll give a point to Avatar 2, Way of the Water. Now, people who want to learn about Tompkins, where do I send them to? Uh, TompkinsRobotics.com is the best place. If you're going to be at the Promat show, we're, um, we're going to be in a booth. Uh, I don't have the booth number right now. They can look me up at LinkedIn. And then um, ultimately we have a sister company called GRS. That company is another place that you can um, see the videos and how the technology works. That's primarily for the European clients, but um, also APAC clients will be looking at GRS branding. Um, But it's the same as Tompkins Robotics, just um, different theater. Well, very cool. And thank you for stopping by. And thank you again for my brand new robot. I very much appreciate this. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. All right. Better call Bart. So my next guest, he started a hotline on LinkedIn. And the same way he was doing it, I read there's this, this guy, Toby Doy Howell. He is sort of like my, uh, my, my social media mentor. And he always puts out great advice. And he said, like, if you ever want to reach out to someone, the best way to do it is when they just launch something. Because they, you know, they're looking for people. They want people to use it. So I call this gentleman on his hotline and invite him on the show. It's Bart Devonk. He's the CIO over at Project 44. And I think he's, uh, he's taking a break out of Food Shippers to join us. So, Bart, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to be here. Yeah, where are where is Food Shippers this year? Is that that's is that Orlando? No, that's TCA. No, it's in uh, in desert uh, de- uh, Palm Desert this year in California. So I've been here uh, for the last few days. Well, very. What what is sort of that take? Do you have a, a general sense of takeaway out of Food Shippers? What are people talking about on the floor as you walk around? There's a lot of excitement. Obviously, it's a little bit different uh, from most. I would say conferences like we were together manifest where you have a, a big expo hall with a lot of sponsors. Well, here it's more about networking. You have a lot of carriers, a lot of brokers, a lot of shippers, very few technology companies. We were one of the few ones there, but it's incredibly exciting to see these people interact. Uh, obviously, everyone's talking about what is this year going to bring. So Bob Costello was there to talk about a little bit of a foresight into what's happening in the world of trucking. But I would say overall to just be part of all the discussions happening between these these folks was really exciting. How did the, how did the farms do? They didn't happen to mention how they think produce yields are going to be this season, do they? We uh we need those on the truckload side. We need we need a good season. Uh, sorry, say say that one again. Did they did they I mention part of it? Yeah, the produce yields. Did they mention produce yields at all? Produce is, is coming up, wow. and we really need that volume. So I hope the farmers did well. Yeah, no, they didn't actually talk about it, but as we know, right, there's still a lot of discussions with uh, with produce, uh, anything coming from, you know, grain exports from China that are blocked because they don't get some of their products uh, from like Ukraine or issues with pesticides. We already know that we have seen a lot more issues with weather. So I think it's going to be very, uh, you know, very a lot of issues around the world with, with really having the, the volumes that we need. 
Very cool. Well, hey, guys in the back, roll this tape for Better Call Bard, and then we're going to talk about why he started this hotline. Do you have supply chain problems? I'll get you out of trouble. Just call 855-527-BART and leave your name, your title, your company, and your supply chain question. And we'll answer that question on the show. I, I love the hotline. I love the little video that you made. I love the name. It all comes together. It just works. I called it up. I know one of my buddies right here in Chattanooga because I watched the first episode. I know Matt. Uh, Matt McLellan yeah. called from a uh, from over at Covenant. Why did he you was start the first one on? I'm sure he was. He he is uh, he is relentless. He is on top of everything. Why did you start the hotline though? I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I think there's still a lot of questions in supply chain, and sometimes people don't know where to go to have those questions answered. Um, and as chief industry officer at Project 44, being in the industry for a long time, I have a passion for um, education, uh, both people that are already in the industry, especially also students. So we wanted to come up with an easy way and a fun way for people to be able to leave their message, get an answer, and then format that in a way that's kind of easy to digest. I think there's a lot of incredibly strong information out there, but sometimes I, I think when I'm on a webinar, how many times can you see the same webinar in the same format? So we wanted to change up the format. It's not necessarily kind of what you do. I think you guys are absolute experts at that and in, in bringing content that everyone wants to see, but bring it in a fun way. I mean, th your show is an absolute great example of that. So we wanted to do something that would, one, set us apart, hopefully would make it very digestible, but would make it very interactive with people. Did you get any, like, weirdos calling in, or, like, what was the best question that you've received so far on the hotline? Uh, we haven't had any uh, weirdos <laughs> calling yet. But, Aside from uh, me. Obviously, we triage <laughs> questions, right? Yeah. Um, it's a little bit like any other show when you have people calling in. It's uh, it's no, not, not live necessarily. Uh, when we get the questions, we we actually um, answer them live, but we we build them up and then uh, and then we answer them. Uh, but no, I think so far they've been really really good questions, and I think it shows that people do have a lot of questions and that they are excited about having at least one source or maybe many sources, but this being one of them, where they can ask a, a question and hopefully get an insightful uh, response to it. Now, and what's what's going on over at uh, P44? Every time I, I look in the news cycle, there's something, some new release coming out by Project 44. What's 2023 looking like for you guys so far? Well, a lot of the work we do is still the same, right? We continue yeah. to to build the network around the globe. That's still very uh, resource intensive and, and takes a lot of time, takes a lot of capital. So that's what we're doing around the world. Our expansions in Latin America and Asia Pacific and Australia going very well. Um, but then there's always new things that we're doing. The great thing is with the more data that you are able to get to, the more things you can do with that data. At the same time, it's also, again, it's part of that education. I always said visibility is a journey. The more people use it, the more they understand, oh, we can do different things with it. So you go from tracking of where is a truck to understanding better insights into how you're executing tra transportation. Then you move that maybe into your transportation management platform to plan better. Then you're saying, hey, by the way, we also have sustainability needs. How does that apply to sustainability? And even further up, how do you use real-time data to do supply chain planning? Because you can no longer plan based on history because the last two to three years, that's not going to repeat itself. So a lot of different ways of using data, but I would say it's it's a journey and different people are at different stages in that journey, different maturity, different organizational readiness. 
And we're just right there by their side to help them to get the most value out of this platform. What has you the most excited about it? Or even better, what had people you've been talking to recently most excited about the visibility space? Are we, are we answering those challenges that shippers out there have? Yeah, I think uh, the insights that they're getting are getting so valuable. We're seeing that in, in the returns and the value we're creating for companies. I think three years ago, four year, years ago, I was still at Gardner. A lot of customers would come to me and say, how do we justify a visibility project? How do you actually identify where you're going to get the value? And today with so many companies really struggling with cash flow, with maybe lower profit margins, uh, less free cash flow, they're going like, Bart, we really need a solution that one, we can implement easily or make the technology consumable. And then secondly, have something that really helps us to create that cash flow, meaning we got to do something around lowering costs, making things more efficient, maybe helping us to grow our revenue faster and with less people, or at least not having to add a lot of people because talent is another challenge, as you know. And that's really so exciting to now see that we figured out not just how to um, convince people of the value of it, but actually seeing our customers getting the value out of these solutions, right? And people will ask me, what is it that you sell? I always sell, we sell value, value creation. It's not about technology solutions. Technology is an enabler. What we're really trying to do is help supply chains to be better connected and through that, be more efficient and do that for everyone involved in the supply chain. Well, very, very cool. What is that number one more time for those of you out there who heard this and you're like, you know what? I want to ask Bart a question. It's 855-527-BART and you better call or I'm coming after you. Better call him. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. Say hi to Jet for me. And before I let you go, I'm asking all you guys to come on today. What is your pick for Best Picture and Oscar? Have you seen any of these movies? I have. I was a really big fan of the Elvis movie. Uh, I think I'm probably more of that generation. Uh, I think I'm not sure if it's going to win Best Movie, but I'm pretty sure it's going to win Best uh, Leading Actor. But then again, being from that generation, I love Top Gun. It brought me back to when I was a teenager. Absolutely adore that movie. Not sure if it's going to win, but a lot of them. I would say one thing that I didn't see in there, The Whale wasn't in here. I know it did very well in maybe some other award shows. I've seen the trailer. I haven't quite seen the movie yet, but that's one that I was pretty excited about. Yeah, in that movie, Brendan Fraser gained as much weight as I did over the pandemic. You know, he he, that was a Darren Aronofsky film. <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for stopping by, Bart. I'll let you get back to Food Shippers. Have a safe trip back, and uh, we should catch up again soon. We will. Thanks so much. Take it easy. Yeah, guys, it's a wide open field this year. So everyone's picking somebody different. And you, and you look at these because they put some like fan favorites. Uh, I really like how they threw like the Avatar and the Top Gun in there. You never usually get stuff like that. You usually get stuck with like crap like Birdman. Who has watched Birdman since it came out and won that? Who got through like the that uncomfortable scene in the bed with Edward Norton and that girl? Screw Birdman. Hate that movie. All right. No, I don't hate, though. I like Super Trucker. So let's bring him up. <laughs> Is that a, that almost sounds like a train horn? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. It, it's the second poof that like really had like a train yep. horny vibe to it. They're higher pitched. They're higher pitched. You have been. Uh, let, let's start on the Oscars because it's on my mind, and you have been a big mm. fan of everything, everywhere, all at once. As has uh, the back, the production guys. They say that that is their collective pick in the back, so they're unified. Yeah, that, I'm going with that one. Uh, it was originally Top Gun until I saw every, everything everywhere all at once on the list. But yeah, yeah e- even my wife liked that movie. And it's very rare that both of us actually like a movie together. 
Yeah, I, I think the only problem that Top Gun has is it that it, it kind of like lacks that create a verve that you kind of expect out of uh, an Oscar movie. It just doesn't, it, seems, it screams maybe more special effects. Maybe that's my own bias, but that's, yeah. that's it just it's seems a, more. It's a, fan, it's a fantastic popcorn movie. <laughs> it sure is. Now, you know, one thing that I've, I've popularized recently is rate the strap work, but how exactly do straps, how do straps work, Justin? <laughs> uh, hopefully with gloves and also depends on what you're hauling. Uh, we used E-Tracks in the postal service, so we never had to worry about wrapping straps, yeah. but a lot of these flatbedders, wrapping everything up and keeping it secure is pantamount. You need to keep everything secure. Otherwise you're just going to lose all your equipment. Now, some people can be sloppy with them. I, I bet you hate like a <laughs> sloppy strap yeah. loader. So we found a video here that's a little tutorial on what it's like to wrap 30 feet of strap. Let's take a look. Grab the tail of this strap and run it out all the way to make sure there's no twists in the strap. Now let's begin rolling. I love the season changes. And rolling. And rolling. And like rolling. now he's in a new location. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's uh, rapping through. The worst is when you're doing that and you like drop it or you notice that there was like a kink oh, that yeah. you just weren't paying attention to. Yeah. A lot of guys are taking this a little too literally in the comments because they were like, oh, just oh, get yeah. power drill and, and wrap <laughs> it up with that. It's like it's a Once joke. you make it it's to the end, bit, man. secure the excess strap. Uh, I want to meet oh. the guy who like figured that out. Like that is genius right there. That right there. That did you used to do that little tie? Did you? Ha you didn't have to work with many straps, did you? No, no. And what's funny is uh, one of my biggest pet peeves with strapping is people who leave a twist in the straps. I like to have it like perfectly flat along in the cargo, but with flat bedding, you need at least one twist in there to keep the uh, the straps tight while you're going down the road. Now, things that end up in rate the strap work, they obviously make their own rules up about strapping. But like, what does good strap work look like? How many like how many straps are supposed to be on a load? Is it is that regulated? Yes, and man, you really got me on the spot there because I never yeah. really did. I did one flatbed load, and the guy that was doing it with did most of the work. Um, but I love seeing the comments of guys like nitpicking all that kind of stuff because it really shows the expertise in the the field out there. Let's take a look. Let's hope this but doesn't it, happen. Let's hope this doesn't happen during our show. Roll this tape. How so quiet in here? Oh yeah. How did I? <laughs> There's two guys that record. They're recording a, a podcast, and a car drives straight through the bag of it. And I gotta say, like that's gotta be maybe not great in the moment, but this has to be maybe one of the biggest viral ads you could ever have for your show. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we. Uh... We're going to be at Matt's at the end of the month, and I'm, like, really hoping nothing disastrous like this happens. But, man, what a great Why? way to uh, promote the show. I oh, you know. I think it's good. I mean, maybe if I, – I mean, don't get, like, fully run over, but maybe if, like – because they don't they have, they have semis on the floor there, don't they, at Matt's? I believe so, yes. Maybe if one of those – This will be my first year attending, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how it looks on the ground floor. But it's a lot easier for to, to recover from an SUV nearly hitting you than it is to, like, be gently bumped into by a semi. As long as it doesn't fully run you over. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny, too, is the guy's wearing, like, a football jersey, so it, it kind of looks like an alternate universe me and Rooster right there. The weirdest thing I ever had before a pod... I've never had someone crash through, but I did have someone get fired right before going on air, which is, like, never Ooh. cool. It was actually at an event, too. They're about to, like, come on the show, and then you see him get the call, and you see their body language change, and then, like, dude just kind of, like, ran off. I, I felt it, man. It's, it's tough. It's not good. <laughs> Now, the worst thing I've ever happened is actually just before coming on here today, my camera software crashed, so I'm using my laptop camera oh, right now instead oh. of my, my nice camera. 
closest crash you got. Well, hey, here's a video about what's going on over in the port. We've talked about these freight volumes. We've talked about their tanking companies. But listen to this driver over at the ports in New York, New Jersey. All right, guys. I'm going to show you this. This is messed up. Real messed up. This is the busiest port, PNCT. It's usually the most backed up. It's a Friday. See all the machines? I feel bad for the longshoremen. I feel bad for everybody. That's how many longshoremen are home. Every crane behind me from PNCT to 64 to 8 p.m. It's bad, guys. They're up. They are up. The recession is full-blown coming. I pray for the best. I pray for everybody, and I pray that we all get through this, man. This, this is tough. This is tough. Yeah, and look, that chart right there, I mean, it tells yeah. you really everything you need to know about how much the season in shipping has changed. This is a long cry from those massive lines of trucks waiting to get inside the terminal, uh, massive backs up, just containers everywhere, nobody being able to find chassis. And look, granted, Chinese New Year just happened. The freight recession has been happening, so these kind of things are going to leave less boats on the water. But I think what has people so nervous is, A, like, people love to go, oh, it's seasonal. This happens every year. But the problem with that thinking is all that tells me is you haven't paid attention to freight for the past four years because seasonality mm -hmm. has broke. I mean, we may return to it, and I would love to see, like, a traditional peak season just start to pick up. That's why I've been looking at produce. But What's coming on the water? What has me concerned is the recent talks about the ocean, too. I don't know. The, these contract deals not going down last week, people willing to hold out and be in the spot market, tells me that shippers are just not that concerned about capacity. Why are they not that concerned about capacity? Because they're just not seeing the order flow. I mean, everyone's thinking cost-cutting. Yeah. And that sucks because I know in trucking, we don't always think about ocean and imports and like, who cares? It's port truckers. And, and hey, some of the guys even look down on the port truckers. But, man, I'll tell you, over the past couple of years, that is what kept this whole thing buoyant. Yeah, and it, it's it's a really good indicator of demand here in the U.S. You know, we're, all we see in, is right now reports of empty containers stacking up in China. So there's nothing being loaded onto them, and there's nothing coming across. <sighs> brutal, brutal, brutal. Yeah. Have you Dirt, have you talked to uh, Richie over, over uh, New York, New Jersey port guy recently? I know you did a podcast with him a couple of months ago. Yeah, no, he's doing well. Um, he's got a new gig, so he's already out of that uh, oh. line of work right now. Happy, more than happy for him but yeah drayage has always been kind of like a feast or famine kind of deal yeah and we're, we're definitely in like a, a famine right now i haven't seen today around in a while either new, new jersey port girl and i i don't know if that just has to do with this yeah. this downflow and maybe a lot of those drivers are just they're just getting chased out look when times are good in there a lot of those poor drivers it it's not it's a great job for home time. They all say we do it for home time, but the daytime yep. sucks. It's not great to visit a port. It's not a good time. Hopefully, like Blue Cargo, I had them on the other day. Hopefully, they can help make those appointments and those systems and make that job better for those those drivers. Yeah, I I did a couple months at the port in uh, Philadelphia, and I would say it was like medium. You know, there were lines to get in, but you yeah. would do two to three trips a day. And that just was not possible over the summers. You know, all people were complaining about was the lines. But now, where are the lines? So let me ask you something. Big important thing, too. Pre-trip inspections. How do pre-trip inspections work? What are you looking for? What are you doing? Well, the biggest takeaway immediately is your tires and your lights. You know, that's yeah. those are the big ones right there. Then you got to crawl under, check your uh the wear and tear on your brakes, make sure you're, if you are connected to a trailer, make sure your kingpin lock is still in place. You never want that to get popped while you were parked overnight. Um, and just make sure nothing's falling off the trailer. You know, just basic, obvious stuff. Um, 
if you're at the port, right now is a good time to be doing inspections because there's not <laughs> a lot of freight moving, and you could probably get into the shop easily. Interesting. Do you get popped more often when there are, is less freight moving? I guess you're an easier target to find. Yeah, in Philadelphia, probably because there are like Philadelphia police truck patrol vehicles that park out there. But those guys are all on the radios. As soon as they see one, everybody scatters. Interesting. Well, I got a driver here from Schneider. Let's see how he does on his pre-trip. Roll the tape. Welcome to another day in the life of an intermodal driver. As of right now, I got to get ready to pre-trip the trailer, make sure everything is in good working order in order for me to pick this box up and get this box delivered. So I already backed up under the unit keeping the rear tires just under the nose of the trailer. And I'm just checking to make sure that the chassis bolster looks good. And, hands are good. oh, what do we have uh -oh. here? Ooh, I can't tie this down. Problem. I guess I'm gonna have to get it replaced. Continue my walk what around, was that? checking my tires. It's a last that keeps your, uh, we call good. them pyramid lock, pyramid lock. My airlines, all on the inside. All right, here's my rear corner, it's actually left in place. Cradle is good, I'm gonna put my gear ties on. Locking pins are in place. I do have my seal. Gotta make sure I put my lock on there when I come back around and get this other side fixed. My other side is locked down. I'm gonna put my gear tie on in place. So back to the front mix again. Another one. Yep. That's cool. No worries. I might just go ahead inside to go talk to the mechanics and see if I get a couple of uh, front latches to get those latches fixed. So this is a go, go, go business. How tempting is it yeah. to... Uh, to be like, eh, that can wait. I don't want to go into the mechanic. I will do this run, and when they bring the truck back, someone else can go look at that that latch. All depends on the terminal you go to, because you'll get inspected as you're leaving. And if um, you know, if you got an inspector that goes through everything with a fine tooth comb, they're going to have you turn back around and go to the shop inside there to get that chassis fixed. This looked very hands-on, like he really had to use his mm -hmm. eyes. But there's a, a lot of newer trucks. They have software now that will do sort of like a digital pre-check, similar to airplanes. Um, are you not a fan of those and why? I mean, everything's a shortcut now, but yeah. you still got to get up. It's, it's not going to check your tire wear. It's not going to check whether you're still, you know, connected through your kingpin. Um, even the guy, I know what, what video you're talking about. The guy did it as like a joke just to show like the, the old timers, like what trucks can do now. But I, my worry is that people will get lazy with, with uh, software like that in trucks. Yeah. You don't, but can it help at all? Could it find something that, that you can't find? Like already on trucks, are there, is, does that not happen? Is there no diagnostic that happens on, 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 you'll have lights on the, on the dash. Yeah. You'll yeah. have lights on the dash and maybe like an error code that you got to like have taken Clear. to the shop and the shop yeah. will tell you what's wrong. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, you still got to get out there and look, use a flashlight and uh, see what's going on with your truck. Interesting. Now, if you were still in your truck, would you splash these guys right here? Let's take a look at these these gentlemen. This is kind of gross, right? I mean, I don't know. This is like street yes. water. <laughs> I, I laughed when I first saw this. I was like, oh, these guys are having the time of their life. And then, like, you look at the one guy, and he's got his mouth open. They got, they're got they drinking. So why would you want that in your, in your beer or you water or whatever you're drinking? Do, do people not understand what animals we are? Like, we shut down the world to put masks on people because we're afraid. Of, we have people who sit on the side of the road drinking puddles. <laughs> gives gives road soda a whole new meaning. It looks fun, though. Would you? Would you? I mean, if you had, like, uh, I don't know, some goggles? Keep your mouth yeah, shut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah, as long as, as long as I knew I wasn't getting any of it in my mouth. Or maybe if it was, like, the day after, like, a, a nice solid rainstorm to get the, the roads cleared off. Yeah, but if it's been like a week or two without any rain, you're getting all that nasty stuff right in your face.
Speaking of movies, I was watching, I was trying to watch Triangle Sadness last night, and then so I was two and a half hours, so dipped out. But I was eating pistachios in the dark, and I came across one that, like, it felt, like, a little extra roasted. So I'm like, oh, it'll be, like, a roasty one. And I bit into it, and it was crunchy, and then it was, like, a raisin. And then it just, like, squirted into my mouth. Oh, I think I ate a damn bug. There's, there's, there's a bug. always one of those in the bag. Just there's a bug hiding out in there. I know, and I thought, like, because you have to open, you have to shuck them, like... That would protect yeah. me. I don't know. Well, Super Trucker, thanks for joining me. Find Super Trucker on Twitter. Uh, follow back the truck up to get all the latest information from the trucking side. Catch their latest podcast that just came out today, Back the Truck. While you're there, also subscribe to What the Truck. Or if you want to watch this, go to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the show or download the Freightways TV app. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Hey, don't be a stranger and take care.